Hello, perhaps you recognize me. It's your favorite president. Ah. So what's going on, everyone? Things are so fucking funny right now. Shit's really funny. It's times like this that I don't feel that bad about picking politics as my as one of my zones of uh, of uh, entertainment, one of my spectacle preferences. I mean, yeah, obviously it was much. It was it was it was great when he was in the hospital. But honestly, I love this now too. This thing where he like he's in the Oval Office and they're saying, "Oh, he's in the Oval Office. He's 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 signing documents." And then they come out. He, they just just right before I came on, they dropped a video of him in front of the White House, just caked up on the makeup because he looked fucking like um, he looked like death last time, and he sounded absolutely gacked. They've clearly got him on the roids, or at least he's still flying high on him. And you know what? He might be fine. He might not even... He, he is... He shouldn't be alive anyway, so maybe he will never face any physical consequences, but... It's still very funny. To me. Because... Not even for what's happening. Because he's mostly been hiding, and now he comes out with his like proof-of-life video. Uh, but because... Of just the absurdity of this. The pure absurdity of the president having this deadly disease and being hidden away in the castle and everyone trying to decide what it means. And all of his minions and all of his supporters going, uh, he's dabbing all over Corona, actually. Uh, you're owned. And other people being like, no, he's on death's door. Without any of them having any actual information. Just a pure projection onto this uh, void. Which I think is evocative of certain phenomena. And just like this death watch, this death watch, life watch. God. It's something. It's something. Uh, I mean, he is going to be stronger in the short term because the steroids are going to whack him up. I mean, he's going to be real powerful. Like they said, he was eating like crazy. Which I love how... Like, don't people know what steroids do? That's what they do. They make you hungry. It would be funny, though, if people started giving themselves corona, like, in solidarity with the president. That would be really good. Yeah, if anyone's seen the new uh, video, he seems very keyed up. More so than usual. Certainly more so than when he's uh, speaking extemporaneously, not in front of a crowd. And everyone's just, like, waiting. It's funny because, like I said the other day, the fact that at no point was Pence even in the ballpark of being sworn in as president, even though he was, like, in hospital care for a while and on mind-altering drugs, 
It really tells you, I think, less even that Pence is an empty shirt, which obviously, but more that he isn't really in charge of anything. Like they, I don't think if he ordered a nuclear strike, they would do anything. If he, they wouldn't, they would ignore him, like they ignored him when he said he wanted to assassinate Assad. Which means that, like this death watch is is, in a way, it's beside the point, you know. It's just it's it's the it's the it's the further intensification of just the pure spectacle, and that's the one thing that the politics of a presidential spectacle has lacked until recently, has been, like the actual corporeal body, of the, our figure of uh, of fixation. You know, like Trump has seemed like a permanent fixture in our lives, and now there's this Schrodinger's fat thing, where it's like, is he gonna live? Is he gonna die? Could he die? Could we handle him dying at this moment? Because the big thing that gets me is like him leaving office and then going to Onan or something. I get that, you know. It's just, it's just, it's another crimp in the narrative. But if he's just gone after what he has ended up becoming in this culture, after how all-consuming he has been as a personality. Oh, just, what is the, where does that go? Where does that energy have to go? And, and, and the reason I find that question so fascinating is because I have no fucking idea. That's one where I just feel, that's why his death feels impossible. And why at the end of the day, I just can't buy that he's going to die anytime soon. Just because I cannot imagine what it looks like with him gone. What are these people putting their energy into? Both for and against. We don't know where we would be without him. We need him. Right now, he is the focal point of all of our energy. Now, I do think that this election is the process of us, like, weaning ourselves off of him. You know, like, Biden will be our uh, our Suboxone, or what is the name of the uh, uh, methadone, the stuff they give you when you're addicted to heroin, that they'll wean you off? That's Biden. But him dying is just cold turkey overnight like just not doing it anymore after being heavily smacked out the deep the the the, the uh, withdrawal is going to be gnarly if it happens uh, it is easier to imagine the end of the world than it is to imagine the end of Trump uh, correct bad bite MCK that is very good But Trump is going to go away one way or the other. I mean, entropy demands it. And it is... The thing that not gets me is how do we... How do we either maintain, like, that psychic investment in politics, or where do we put it if we decide to redirect it? It's all very murky. Like I always, I always, when Trump got in there, I recognized it as like a tectonic change in American politics, and uh, and I said, I remember in like 2017, I said like we don't know what everything has led to Trump, but nothing has pointed past him because Trump is the end point, like of all of our most prescient uh, art, right, and culture that that sees the direction, the arc of our political trajectory. 
all of it says the end point is Donald Trump. The end point is this absurdity where politics has been rendered a pure spectacle and the guy presiding over it is like a giant court gesture in chief. Like, that's where it ends. And then that's like supposed to be sort of, you know, the, the dystopia. And now we're in it. What comes next? And I still don't know. I mean, electing, especially if he does win in a landslide, although who knows, I'm honestly getting to the point where I'm wondering, fuck, maybe Trump's going to win. Hilariously. Maybe that would even be funnier. Because I was talking, I was thinking, like, funniest outcome, Trump loses, then dies, like two weeks later. To Biden. But now I'm thinking, fuck, Trump almost dies and then wins. That'd be pretty funny, too. But I still think it's more likely that Biden wins. And us electing a absolutely out-to-lunch, advancedly senile man is certainly uh, a topper on top of the Trump thing. But then what's going to happen? You know, he's probably not going to serve that long. And then we get Kamala Harris, which is like the triumph of, uh, you know, of woke neoliberalism. But what we know for a fact about woke neoliberalism is that it provokes a wild, wild cultural backlash. And what does that look like? In the absence of Trump, who kind of came in to fill a spot. And I think that's the thing. That's why it's hard to talk about. Because whatever emerges will emerge organically. Like, I don't think anybody thought Trump was going to run for president in, like, 2014. Seriously run. Sure shit didn't think he was going to get the nomination. Sure shit didn't get to think he was going to win the, the presidency. And we're in a similar situation. Like, what well, the things that are going to come are going to be as inconceivable as that was then. He didn't. No, he didn't run in 2000. He made a half-assed bid for the uh, for the Reform Party nomination against Pat Buchanan. Pat Buchanan got it. Remember, because famously a bunch of. Uh, uh, South Beach Jews voted for noted anti-Semite Pat Buchanan thanks to uh, the wonderfully designed butterfly ballots, this is before most of your time, uh, that ended up costing Gore, Florida and giving us Bush and sending us hurtling into this timeline that we're in now. But I feel bad for the country, as Darren Ruffell said, but this is tremendous content. Well, somebody asked, is it was it the Brooks Brothers riot or it was the Chads? Well, I mean Bad ballot design and other things are what made it so that Gort didn't have a clear election night win, which if he had, would have obviated any kind of riot or recount or anything. So Florida ran a shitty election, first and foremost. And of course, part of that was by design. Like uh, Jeb did illegally purge a bunch of people from the rolls who happened to be minorities, uh, and that contributed. But... I don't think that there was like an outright effort, we're going to steal the 2000 election. It was when it became a jump ball, they went and grabbed it, which is, I think, 
the only likely outcome, like everyone worrying about Trump stealing it, it'll just be that again. A jump ball that gets stolen. And right now, if you believe the polls, and who the fuck can say at this point, there's not going to be enough jump balls for them to grab. Or there's going to be too many jump balls for them to grab. There's going to be too many places where Biden wins handily. Uh, but who knows? I mean, the polls were off last time. That's undeniable. But why and in what, what? I don't think anyone knows to this day why. And as a result, it's almost impossible to handicap polls now. So you just have to kind of go in blind, which I think is useful. And honestly, I think it might be awesome if they banned polling completely. Got rid of polling. No polls. What's the point of knowing who's going to win beforehand? How does that contribute to your decision of who to vote for in a meaning, like in a policy sense? Because remember, this is supposed to be us collectively as a country determining our policy uh, trajectory, what our country is going to do. Shouldn't that mean that the only thing that needs to matter is who the candidates are and what they say they're going to do? What they're going to, who's ahead, how does that help anyone? It's literally an entertainment product. And if we wanted to make politics not entertainment and make voting less of a weird, uh, like, sacred ritual divorced of... But it's like it has all of the powerful emotional resonance of sacred rituals with none of the uh, effect of creating, like, a sense of well-being or connectedness to a community. Only the opposite. It only pushes us against each other more and more. How can we, like... Put shrink voting down to size, which is really when I talk about voting on here, people seem to get the wrong impression sometimes. I'm not saying it doesn't matter who you vote for, and I'm not saying it doesn't matter if you vote or not. I am saying is that the act of voting is of little to no individual moral consequence for a person, which means that it cannot be the sum total of your political activity. And the only way to bring it down to size is by psychically reducing the hold it has on you, morally and in terms of building an identity. Making elections less entertaining would be a big part of that, because one of the reasons we, we do put so much energy into voting as a, as a uh, totem is because that means all we got to do is watch the show, hashtag, like they say in the QAnon, which is a show we want to watch. We wouldn't tune in if we didn't want to watch it. And half the country doesn't like the show, and they turn the show off. And they're not paying attention. Even though they're the ones most materially harmed by our political reality, the, the falseness of the front of our democratic process means that for half the population, this show is too boring. That's because they cannot give voting the sensual, emotional, uh, uh, sacred place in their... Uh, in their minds that people who are still watching do. That's the unnecessary, that's the suspension of disbelief you need to watch a TV show and get into the characters or, or the situations. This vote means something. From that, all the other pageantry of politics comes to vivid life. Which is why voting is not gonna be the answer for anyone. It can't be the answer for anything because half of the people have decided that it's a boring show they don't want to watch because they cannot, they have not made the investment, which means nothing you do at that level is going to reach them, which is what we learned with Bernie, is that 
even though they were making intentional, a big effort to reach out in person to people. Like in Iowa, I know they hired a bunch of service industry workers as organizers to organize their workplace, like instead of just calling people. Uh, and it had, and in specific places where you had like real, like working class, like uh, structures, like the union dense uh, city of Las Vegas, where you know people were able to do shoe leather uh, organizing and and bring like you know cleaning staff and uh, and fucking taxi drivers off the strip to vote. Uh, but that was never going to be enough. The hope was is that the people watching this pageant were going to hear what Bernie said and be moved by it. Problem was, the only people watching that pageant were people who were already locked in. On the right side, to the Republicans, and that was not their concern. To the left side, to the Democratic Party. Because, of course, they're voting. Of course they think the Democratic Party means something. Of course they think the Democratic Party represents their aspirations. If they didn't, they could not find the show, the pageant of politics, interesting. And they would turn it off, and that means they wouldn't be paying attention to it, which means they couldn't be intersecting with it in a way that was going to bring them into the process. And so, for the people who do vote, which is basically everyone who watches my, you know, watches my streams or listens to the podcast or anything, or goes on the internet to discuss politics, like they all vote, or if they don't vote, they're not voting is not turning off the TV because it's boring. It is a reaction to voting. You know, the way that all atheists are still Christians, you know, like the way that atheism is basically just like a really refined form of Protestantism. Uh, you're still in the system, even as you reject it. Because you are making a conscious choice to reject voting out of a political stance as opposed to out of disinterest. Is that voting has to be brought down to size in your mind. Because then you'll have to fill the rest of the time figuring out what does work and what does connect people and what does provide any chance that we can influence events. Because what I see people talking about, like, oh, we go, you know, Biden, what's, what's he gonna, is he gonna, you know, Biden needs to give outreach to the left or something. Like, he has no interest, the party he represents has no interest in doing anything for the left. They defeated the left. They risked a lot to defeat the left. They risked a lot of their credibility. They killed their own fucking voters in some states by insisting on having uh, primaries in the beginnings of the coronavirus. All these people who now are telling you how Trump is horrible for ignoring science and getting people killed with his reckless rallies went out there and said, yeah, no, go vote, don't worry about it. Knowing they were going to kill people, uh, they they are saddled with this fossil, this demented fossil, who could die at any moment or just start blurting out uh, logaria uh, or have his teeth fall out uh, or just start saying slurs, maybe. Uh, and who, in his person, rejects the entire carefully crafted identity politics uh, appeal that they were building for uh, like minorities in this country to make up for their lack of their of any kind of material politics. Like, oh, we're gonna give you representation and representation is its own form of power. Nope, old white guy, old white guy who got into Congress running against uh, busing, which his own VP nominee uh, pointed out in the debate with them. This is not what they wanted. They brought themselves to this level to defeat the left. So they're not going to give anything to the left. 
Why would they? They're they're the victors. Only thing that's going to happen is they're going to... The only way that they're going to change anything is under pressure. And that pressure can't come through voting for him, for Biden, because if Biden wins, then the left... uh, uh, Then the left was disciplined... uh, if Biden wins, that means the left enough of the left voted for him to get him across the finish line, which means you can take them for granted. If Biden loses, it's because not enough of the left voted for him. Either way, the left is still out of the tent. I mean, is that wrong? Tell me if that is wrong, right? Because since when has a Democrat winning made anybody think, thank you, left? Because as I've said a million times, voting is not a collective action. There is no like coherent left to express a collective desire to either support or uh, not support Bernie uh, or uh, Biden's candidacy. Like you know, the AFL-CIO deciding not to endorse McGovern in '72 because they were pissed about the nomination process. Uh, there's just a bunch of individuals who can be ignored because they're on the team, or can be blamed if you lose. But anyway, all this means, let's ban polling. Ban polling, ban uh, pharmaceutical advertisements. I don't see how this is. Uh, this should be controversial. Somebody asked, well, does that mean, uh, like, they're saying, well, who should you vote for then? And that's just it. There's a weird, more like, part of the moral confusion that goes with voting is, like, if I vote for someone, then I am responsible for anything they do if they win, basically. And I am absolved from responsibility for anything that happens if they lose. Like, that's the moral wager there. And a version of that, an expression of that, is that, like, if I tell someone to vote for... If, I, if somebody says, you need to tell your followers, your, your listeners, to vote for Biden. The assumption there is that me saying that will make all of them vote for Biden. Or even a majority of them vote for Biden. And the fact is... They might vote for Biden, and they probably will more than not, but that decision will not be because I told them to do a thing. There is no way that my decision, for more than a fraction of a fraction, is going to be the sole determining factor in their decision to vote for somebody. Because nothing is like that. There are no sole determiners of actions at that level. There's a million reasons you're going to vote for fucking Biden if you're going to vote for Biden. What I say is not going to be the tipping point any more than me voting for Biden is going to be the tipping point between him winning and losing. Uh, I, I have to say, though, that I will be voting uh, in person due to the nude celebrities, because they horned me up. I'm horned up now. I'm all horned up. I did not know Chris Rock was so uh, deceptively built for a skinny guy. I will be Richelieu to uh, Braces Louis uh, Louis VIII. Absolutely. We will fuck up the Catholic League. Someone wants me to talk about meditation. I'm not really... I don't think I'm the person to talk to because I'm still learning. You know, I, I have a sporadic practice... Uh, I try to do about a half an hour a day. I do it more often than not, but I do. I don't do... 
Um, but, and I try to do the insight yoga, uh, which is like concentrating on breathing. But, you know, mostly I'm in my head thinking of things. But I am try I try to mostly use it as just a time to make myself sit with thoughts and then let them go. Because I've realized that uh, one of the keys to thinking clearly is to not stay in one thought, uh, train of thought for too long. You need to allow, like, you start thinking about something because you've had some sort of connection between your, your brain and the world, and it gets you thinking about something. And over time, you know, the conditions that brought about that thinking, they go away, and now you're somewhere else, and you're still thinking about that thing. And now, the, like, you're, you're in your head more. You're less in the world. And to stay in the world as you think, it's prob- I think it's good. I'm finding it's not something I used to even think about doing, but now I feel I try to do it consciously, is just let thoughts just kind of go off and then just, instead of trying to pursue them, let them go. And then just, like, look once again around you, and then something else is going to come up. Like, the brain is not going to be quiet as much as we might want it to be sometimes. But where it goes will, at the end of the day, always end up being directed from and sensory experience if you're actually paying attention to your sensory input. And I mostly, like, I say that to feel better about the fact that I have a hard, uh, such a hard time, like, clearing my head. I don't know if I've ever really done it. But I try. Lord knows I try. Yeah, I have never done transcendental meditation. That seems pretty intense. I guess the thing I worry about is like doing anything that's too... Uh, I don't want to get discouraged, I guess, is the thing. Because I worry about my... I worry about my... Uh, I always worry about my discipline levels, you know? Like, uh, the reason I've been a uh, lout my whole life is because I, I had insufficient motivation because I didn't really believe anything, you know? And the problem is, like, belief is that, like furnace it goes up and down you know and sometimes it's stoked up and sometimes it's down and meditation helps with that but it also it it provides sort of a uh, a concrete expression that can for me anyway be something i i get overly uh worried about but i'm trying to keep doing it i'm, I'm keeping on So TM is mantras instead of breathing, like you say things over and over again? I would like to meet David Lynch in the spirit realm. I would apologize for not really liking his work. Because I know I'm supposed to. Yeah, we could hang out at the Black Lodge. That would be cool. That place seems kind of scary.
nothing's wrong with David Lynch. I respect him immensely. He's he's one of the few pure artists in cinema. Certainly, uh, in like his television program, from what I understand, is uh, like almost sui generis in terms of being a mainstream product. And the first seasons on network television with that kind of singular artistic vision. Um, but it's just it's in the past anyway. It's just not. It's a wavelength thing. It's a vibe thing. And it's just not a vibe that I was ever able to really connect with. Maybe that'll be different now, but I, I haven't watched any in a while. I haven't seen... Somebody reminded me of that. The one recent uh, Steve, uh, Eastwood movie that I haven't seen yet, I keep forgetting to see it, is the one about the guys on the train that uses the real actors, or as actors, uses the real troops who stopped at a terrorist attack on a train in France. 1517 to Paris which I, I know had baffling reviews and I'm intrigued I keep forgetting to watch it but thank you for reminding me I'm going to see it soon I am people are asking my height I'm 6'3 I'm probably 6'2 at this point from slouching but yeah Yep, I'm a confirmed Chad. Sorry, guys. Sorry. Confirmed Chad. I mean, if it makes up for it, I have a limp. So I don't know if that uh, ameliorates the uh, the Chadness or maybe exacerbates it. I don't know how Chadness works. I do know being tall is part of it. Apologies to the uh, to the madlets out there, but it is it's brutal bone law and of course this is all being said tongue in cheek and none of this stuff is real uh, in real life these things do not exist I've seen enough experience I have enough experience in my life to know that there is no like look determiner for uh, outcomes in life uh, specifically romantically in this country it's all it's as real like all that stuff is, is internet uh, mania turned into delusional uh, ideology as it is in politics. What did I did I ever watch What Would You Do? I remember that theme song. I hadn't thought about that show. I haven't thought about that show in 25 years. I gotta see if I can find the theme song. You do. Oh man, that was a show. It was like a, a kind of a quasi. It was a money-based prank show with uh, with Mark Summers, where he would like pay people to humiliate themselves. Wow, that's insane. Why would someone ask that? And how would that be in my head? <laughs> I 
literally, that was... Wow. I, there is zero chance that I have consciously thought of that show or that song since I watched it as a child. And as soon as I saw, did you see What Would You Do on ABC, just... I instantly heard the whole fucking thing. That's... Brains are crazy. Because the thing is, we like we have perfect memories. Like, your brain imprints everything it experiences. It's just accessing it for the front that's so hard. Because you're trying to juggle all these balls by absorbing all this shit in front of you. Like, you're absorbing all of this stimuli while trying to pull things out that happened longer ago. But that was just sitting there waiting to pop up. When I think of the things that I can't remember and have forgotten important stuff and necessary stuff and the fact that that was just waiting there no 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 what what you do this is an interesting question someone says uh would uh would you see us twitch chatters as real people that's an interesting question that's an interesting question uh this is a very uh, interesting ontological question. Are you people real to me? Like, when you interact with me, like, do I imagine you the way I would if I was in a room filled with 100, uh, 1,400 people? And they were, like, had, had microphones or something. I mean, I'd say abstractly, yeah. Like, I, I, I believe that there are consciousnesses behind these comments, that this isn't machine-generated for the most part. You're not bots, and that you're, you're, I'm engaging with you, but... Beyond that, it's very hard, especially as I'm trying to like formulate thoughts and stuff, to keep like a concrete notion of an audience intact. They kind of, kind of, you guys kind of melt away, and it does sort of become like I look at myself. I don't when I'm really in the groove, look at myself, not at the chat, you know. And so there's like a weird, like, uh, element where I'm basically, I am doing some sort of like conversational exhibitionism, where I'm talking to myself in front of a lot of people. You know, instead of talking to a lot of people. Um, another question I saw before I started talking there is living, what's better, living color or mad TV? Uh, about a while ago now, like 10 years ago maybe, I uh, did a little, re uh, I rewatched a couple episodes of In Living Color, and even then it didn't hold up. So I guarantee you if I tried to watch it now, it would be painful. We, meanwhile, mad TV is has got some good stuff in it. I mean, and as, you know, Comtown's talked a lot about how if you have any sort of um, fondness for the pre-woke cultural comedic uh, style, and Mad TV was your show. I mean, the wildly uh, racist uh, uh, sometimes, very edgy, as they said. They had a character who was a white lady pretending to be an Asian woman. I mean, the kind of stuff that's just like, oh my god. Uh, but the thing is, like, those things can't hurt you now, so you can watch them from remove and find them pleasurable. I think in Living Color, I remember just being very, uh, very cringe when I rewatched it. Wonder shows in on the other hand. Now that's a fucking program. Apparently, it's not streaming anywhere. I haven't watched it. In, all the way through since I saw it on DVD and I could really like to rewatch it but apparently it's not streaming anywhere is it on YouTube? a lot of times things are on YouTube if they're not anywhere else if anybody can hook me up with Wonder Shows because I, I talked about Fright Night 2 the other uh, uh, 
day. Somebody recommended it to me, and I couldn't find it on the internet. And somebody said, oh, yeah, it's on YouTube, and they showed me the link. It was perfect. Yeah, Wonder Shows it is uh, an exposure to that show at the right time is like just, it's saturating your brain in, in an alien uh, uh, um, premise. Like, just an alien sense of, of uh, compared to the rest of the culture you consume, it is at a complete angle to everything else you're gonna, you, 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 you are absorbing. And I think that's true of all the Ch Vernon Chapman stuff. And anyone who's watched his new claymation show on uh, Adult Swim, Shivering Truth, very good. Xavier, Renegade Angel, a great show. He also did a... Uh, he has done two really fascinating side projects that he apparently paid for with his own money. One was... He took two uh, weird niche companies that existed. One was a custom porn site that would, if you paid them enough, shoot a porno for you. Like, according to your casting specifications, your dialogue, you know, the, the scenario. And then he gave them a, like, a movie script without any sex in it and had them carry it out. I haven't seen that. I would like to. The other one, he turned it into a book. Uh... He, there's apparently companies that will, and I cannot imagine who has ever gotten their money's worth for this. If you need help writing a help writing a paper for some sort of school assignment, uh, they will basically farm out to people in uh, I think Asia, most of whom's first language is not English, uh, and they will write one for you. Uh, and he sent them a bunch of different. Uh, essay topics, and they wrote them for him. Uh, Heart She Holler, also very good. Final Flesh is the name of the movie. I haven't seen that. I'm going to find the name of the book. Uh, Mind Exploitation. That's it. I have seen Wizard People, Dear Raider. Oh my God, we're talking about comedy legends here. Uh, another guy that I, I absolutely revere, Brad Neely. Uh, to this day, Wizard People, Dear Raider is the only encounter I have had with Harry Potter as such. I've not seen any of the movies independently of that or read the books. I just saw Wizard People, Dear Raider. And yeah, China, Illinois, all the shorts they did before China, Illinois. Uh, Hargnallen Slippio Pipio, I thought, was uh, slept on. Somebody, we're, we're doing, we're, people are shouting out adult swim shows now, and someone says, uh, Moral Oral, and they talked about that, and they said, like, it's, it's, they compared it to Bojack Horseman, and I had not thought of that before, but, Moral Oral is sort of how is like the the gallant to Bojack Horseman's goofus in terms of it is the uh, it is the good way to do that kind of thing. It's the good way to uh, try to inject pathos into a cartoon.
Yeah, this is uh, this stuff is some demographic pandering right there. It's like, hey, are you a uh, are you a late millennial uh, white male? Come on to the Kush stream and let's remember some stuff. Yeah, I gotta say, like, I really do realize over the course of these that that I am definitely, you know, projecting a very, uh, a, re a relatively rigored, uh, you know, um, I, am, I am expressing on these streams a very specific point of view. And anybody who isn't, like, shares a lot of my reference and sort of experiential premises, I'm always amazed that they tune in. But I actually don't worry about that because, like, I remember when Chapo started. A lot of people freaked, like asked us, like, you know, do you think like it needs to be? Don't you think it should be more inclusive and stuff? And and I I think that that assumption comes from the expectation that everything should be for everybody, you know. And I don't think that that's the case. Like, what you get when you do that is the kind of you know a mediocrity thing, like where like uh like the far, new Fargo or something where it's it's just enforced like the real diversity should come from giving every, from maximizing the opportunity for creators of all types to express themselves rather than having every like node with any kind of uh, 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 you know market share enforced upon Oh, wait a minute. Somebody says that there's somebody who worked on the Dark Tower TV show in the chat or the movie. I'd be very interested to hear about this. Yeah, it's wind. the wind is crying Mary right now. So I know the show didn't uh, get picked up, right? I would be I would like to see it. movie was terrible. I mean, the movie was the worst kind of, uh, of garbage. And not, in that case, for diversity. Like, Idris Elba was actually a pretty good choice for uh, Roland, but just the number one failing is absolutely no respect for the audience's intelligence. That's the main thing. That's what's made it impossible to have any quality to it. Is its expectation of, like, audience buy-in to the world they were building was so low there was so little confidence in in you know presenting something and having the audience sort of come along with them and and, and accept it and fill it in as it goes, as opposed to having it spoon fed to them. It, especially since it was only ninety minutes, it's like my God. It's almost like they uh, they realized how like soulless and wan it was, and just decided you know this was going to be like a two and a half hour long bloated piece of shit like every other big movie. Let's just cut all this stuff and just call it a day and everyone just went yeah that's for the best it just like it felt like nobody's heart was in it except maybe McConaughey who seemed to be really chewing the scenery but not in a fun way
<coughs> which is why I was kind of like, even after that terrible movie, I was kind of a little hopeful for the show, just because the very fact of it being a continuing narrative would give them more time and more uh, uh, rope to sort of b- build their own narrative scaffolding and maybe a little more confidence. And then they were like, nah, no show either. Well, the books are still there. Ka is a wheel. That's true. Ka is a motherfucking wheel. Did I never have a Grateful Dead phrase? What What do you think? What do you think? What's the likelihood of that? I'm just wondering how, what the percentage likelihood you'd think that I had ever at any point was a dead head. I was not. Now, I didn't like music enough. I think I've said this before, but I used I didn't buy albums because I was like even if I liked one or two songs that a, a band did, what if I don't like the rest? Now I paid for this album that I'm not going to get that much use out of. So I would buy movie soundtracks. I did not have a cake or a ween phase. Never got into ween, and I'm sorry, but I still like cake, so that's not a phase. I mean, I don't listen to it as much as I used to, but that's because I don't listen to music as much as I used to. And I do not like Camptown Races. That's slander. I'm going to sue Felix for that. The best cake song. That's an interesting question. Uh, there's a lot of great ones. If I just try to blank my mind and think of the first thing that comes to mind, it might be Italian leather sofa. I like Mexico a lot too. Satan is my motor is great as well. The distance is a great song. It is a great single. It's just I kind of take it for granted because it's the one big hit. You Part the Waters is a great shot, great song. Sheep Go to Heaven is a great song. Friend is a four-letter word is really good. Short Skirt Long Jacket's really good. I, I'll, go, I'll go Italian Leather Sofa, number one. They did a great cover. Their covers are some of the best. They did a great cover of I Will Survive. And honestly... Their cover of uh, Sad Songs and Waltzes is, I know this is heresy, I like it better than the Willie Nelson version because of the trumpet. The trumpet adds this like plaintive emotional note to it that is, in my opinion, even more evocative than uh, Willie's voice, which of course, as I said, heresy, I understand. Bomb Bomb Korea is good too. The cover of War Pigs is very good. Oh, I really love Rock and Roll Lifestyle, too. And Mr. Mastodon Farm. The wind is mad at my cake takes. The wind does not like cake. Oh, yes. 
Comfort Eagle also great, obviously. Someone's asking about the Revolutions podcast. I they asked the best season. I don't know if it's the best, and probably by definition it isn't. But the most impressive season for me, just as a podcaster and as someone who's like has a long term goal to try to do historical like entertainment, like historically based, you know, uh, podcasting, and has in the past done that. What he did with the 1848 revolution still blows my mind. Like, the fact that he did 1848 at all, I kind of couldn't believe. I thought for sure he'd skip it. And then the fact that he was like, no, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do a thing that took two years, happened in almost every European country simultaneously, and then bring it together. I mean, it's not as, like, you know, narratively satisfying as the Haitian Revolution, which is a great, great one, and maybe it's probably the best, like, pure expression of the show. But... I'm just very, very impressed by 1848. Especially since 1848 is a very important historical moment for like the birth of modern uh, revolutionary politics. And it's very underknown by people. And like a lot of people ask me, like, what's a good book on the 1848 revolutions? And it's like, that's a tough one because of how unwieldy an event it is. And how much more likely you're going to find like more uh, like thin slice narratives. And he, he really did a service by giving just like just an event structure so that you could do something like read the Brumaire and like have it have a context which is hard which makes it hard to read if you don't but like I would say like Marx's writing on 1848 is all great but he's assuming a level of knowledge that most people uh, nowadays do not have I saw the movie Bakaru and I liked it. I liked that it had a very rigorous sort of... Uh, it had the rigorous... It, it very much had the tone and look and feel of a world cinema art movie. You know what I mean? Like those, the, those three-hour movies about you know a, a village in Turkey where someone's trying to sell a mule. And that's the whole plot. So it has that aesthetic... But then it has a absolutely bonkers uh, B movie uh, plop, uh, uh, pulp plot, and I thought that that was a very interesting choice that I thought worked very well. And of course, it's very politically relevant, you know, these rich Anglo's hunting poor uh, poor Brazilian peasants and everything. Pulp plop, pulp, plop, pulp, plop. I never got into Dan Carlin. I never listened to the Dan Carlin podcast. Too long. Too long. And also apparently conversational. I know it's hypocritical for me to say this, but I mostly prefer the, the scripted uh, history podcasts. Uh, someone's asked me if there's anybody in somebody who's been evil, who has gone good, uh, who got so anyone in history, like a historical figure who started off evil and became good. Uh, I'm gonna troll epically and say ben, uh, Benedict Arnold.
I would like. We're gonna do another Among Us stream soon. Uh, that was fun. I got the hang of it uh, as I went on. I have to say, uh, and I have, and I did enjoy being a. Uh, I do enjoy being the infiltrator. That's a lot of fun. Yes, I was a po I was pogging by the end of it. Uh, somebody asked me, why don't you uh, call more Nazis Nazis? And I will say, I don't know what you're trying to get with that, get with that, but the real reason I don't use that word too much is because I think it's incumbent on people to make the political system, the political situation more clear to people if they're going to talk about it for a living instead of less clear. And that kind of language, no matter how it conforms to some sort of, you know, checklist on the internet, does a disservice to that goal. It makes things less clear. It fills the moment with a thunder and emotion and an urgency that is not matched by the actual political engagement of our population and leads people, I think, to make, uh, to, to choose wrong priorities based on an emotional response to a symbolic collection of, of, of uh, trigger words and ideas. That and I mean I think when people yell at me for this, it really does feel like they want me to affirm their mania. They want me to say no, you're not being hysterical. And the thing is, I think a lot of people are. So I don't want to tell them that. I mean, if you think we're on the verge of a of a coup or a fascist putsch, then you need to do something other than post. And if you can't find it in your if you can't find something to do that isn't posting to make that happen then maybe it's not as imminent as you think it is. Someone says, be more specific. I don't know what you mean by that. Oh, God, is the lens all greasy again? Why is atheism Protestantism? I don't mean in the sense that, like, there is a way to not believe in God that is inherent, that, that, that like, not that... Like not believing in a Judeo-Christian God requires, like, oh, that's just Protestantism. I'm saying that people we think of as atheists, new atheism, is just another, it's just a further uh, um, abstraction to the individual and away from the notion of a social religion that Catholicism represented. Catholicism says that, so, that, uh, that religion is a social practice uh, and Protestantism says no, religion is a personal practice. And then the furthest, the further removed to that is is the post-rational atheist who says, no, there's just the individual. And it's just it's it's further severing those social ties because at at, at the end of history where we are, you know, uh, religious devotion, if it is divorced from a social context like it is in America is a uh, it is a connection to something else like something older something beyond oneself even if it's only in the mind 
And atheism says, no, 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 sever even that connection to anything outside of yourself. You have the tools of ratiocentiation within your mind to make sense of the world with the help of others, uh, but you do not have to pay homage to any old system of beliefs that predates that. And that's just the further, it's, 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 it's terminal velocity away from socially embedded meaning. Because anyone who makes a project out of like atheism, it's baffling to me because whether or not God exists is beyond the point. So beyond the point. So meaningless. Because none of us will ever know. Ever. What matters is what we do here. And that atheism does not get you there. Like, I understand people think that they're like breaking the spell or something, but they're not really. Like, when you look at the trajectory of new atheism, on how it went from people opposing the Bush administration uh, in the early uh, aughts because it was filled with uh, all these uh, Christ botherers to now a bunch of people who are measuring skulls like maniacs to try to determine who should live and die in the coming lifeboat uh, uh, economy, uh, you know, following climate collapse. Like, I don't think God exists in the sense of a any being outside of the, the natural world. Like, I don't think that there is. But what we call God is a real thing. Every, everything that is in the concept of God is real. And it has to be acknowledged as such, as opposed to, uh, you know, evangelical American atheism, which is just another schizophrenic uh, insistence upon the primacy and, and uh, in fact, paramount and solitary and untranscendable barrier of the individual human consciousness. sound like a baby. Well, I am. We're all, I'm a baby. I'm definitely a baby. Alright, maybe one question and I'm going to wrap it up. I played Disco Elysium a little bit, but it was very complicated and it kind of hurt. Anything where I have to click uh, bothers me. I've heard it's a very good game, though. Our theater is going to die. We'll end on this. I mean, eventually, yes. Uh, and I think that this all might have really facilitated the end of that. I think we might be at the end of the if there is an end to 
the corona, if this isn't the new normal, and if it is, then yes, obviously, theaters, if nothing changes about our ability to be indoors together in, like, five years, which, you know, some hysterics freak out about, like, oh, what if we get more and more mutations, and, you know, we never reach herd immunity, and therefore we can never go back to normal. Well, if that's true, then bye-bye theaters. But even if, if like, two or three years we get back, everyone can do it. Uh, I think that the shift to digital will have been complete by then. And theaters are going to be mostly maybe they'll be rep, maybe we'll still have repertory houses like the way they are now people showing old movies and honestly that's not the worst thing in the world you know because going to the movies is obviously not just the experience of seeing the movie it is a social engagement for the most part you know there are people who see movies alone i see a lot of i used to see a lot of movies alone but even then there is a social element to it you're out of the house and that gives your viewing of the movie a formality and an experiential richness that you don't get at home. And the thing is, though, that could be anything, you know? If it's old movies, I mean, people see old movies now. People used to see old movies now, uh, even when there was new ones to be seen. But it will definitely change the number of theaters there are and the size. I mean, we might, be, we might see the end of uh, multiplexes. Might get back to, like, uh, one, one screeners. That'd be nice. I don't know what they're gonna do with all those, uh, all those old big theaters though. Paintball range, uh, putt putt. But I think most the- their theatrical release is gonna go away, sadly. But not maybe the theatrical experience, which I'll take. I'll take it. All right, guys. Bye bye.